Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey everybody, how's it going? We are live. If you're listening live right now, let us know that you can hear us. Uh, just to make sure we're doing our job correctly today. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, April 13th with a mystery guest. Oh, he's on the line right now. Oh, I gave some of it away. He he is on the line right now. Who will it be? Who will it be? Oh, my God. Get the bong out. Okay. <laughs> Your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, April 13th with a mystery guest is just moments away. But before we do this, all right, everybody can hear us. Cool, cool. We're in business. Let's thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation of Labor sponsors, as well as Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, how to think politically, and so much more. If you're a clueless Chicagoan, get a clue! ChicagoReader.com and subscribe. Also, ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. You go to that website, not only will you see an endless archive of Ben Jarofsky episodes, over 900 episodes, people. We are freaks. How have we done that many episodes in the span of two years? I don't know, but we did it, and you can listen to all of them. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, and you can be a bin head. That's right. That's what we call avid listeners of the Ben Jarofsky Show. If you want to support the Ben Jarofsky Show, ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky. Become a bin head. It is a three-tier system. You can either be in the alley. The Avenue, or you can be living large on Benny Boulevard. That's true. Ben's living large on Benny Boulevard. Our mystery guest is living large on Benny Boulevard. Are you? ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. And you'll even get a deal on the latest book from Ben Jarofsky, his greatest hits. Go check it out. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. The Ben Jarofsky Show with mystery guest starts now. It is Tuesday, April 13th, and live from downstate in my mom's apartment again, and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, yes, a mystery guest, and Keith Kelleher. Now your host, not a mystery host. No, you know him. It's Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Civil War Tuesday, and here's why. First, good weekend. You have a good weekend? Oh, you're in uh, Alton. Yeah. Yes. Went downstate. Must have been a good weekend. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, I know from my sources that you spent a good chunk of the week watching WrestleMania. Oh, WrestleMania uh, weekend. You know, I got to watch it every year. So uh, to watch WrestleMania, the guy went to Alton. Don't ask questions, ladies and gentlemen. Don't question Dennis. He did what he had to do, and he did it. 
that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I watched News of the World, damn good Western. Tom Hanks plays his Confederate war veteran. He's a captain for the rebels, making his way across Texas in 1870. He's stopping town to town, reading newspapers wherever he goes. Yes, he entertains people by reading them the newspapers. Where was that job when I could have used it? Now he finds himself in charge of a nine-year-old orphan who he has to deliver back to her family. It's a long story. Watch the movie. It's a good flick. I urge everybody to check it out. The point is, it was a foreshadowing for the week to come because it's really all about trying to heal the wounds and tame the hatreds and bridge the differences that divide our country. And it's in Texas in the days after the Civil War and Confederate soldiers have formed bands of vigilantes who are lynching black men and terrorizing the local folks. And the Union soldiers called blue coats are essentially an occupying army that's tired of being there and they want to go home to hell with black people getting lynched. In some ways, it kind of foreshadows the divides of today. They've been on full display all weekend. Trump giving a command performance at a gathering of Republican donors in Florida, lashing out at a Republican who dares to disagree with him. Joe Biden, a batch of legislators, Republican and Democrats. But really, it's like he's reaching out just enough against the moderate members of the Democratic Party whose votes he desperately He desperately needs every single Democratic vote because no matter how many Republicans he brings to the White House, ladies and gentlemen, no matter how much he talks about bipartisanship and the spirit of compromise, he knows he's not going to get one, not one Republican vote. So he's setting up a scene and label him to tell Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema, I tried, I tried. Now, you'd think that infrastructure, which was the topic on the agenda when the Republicans and Democrats convened in the White House, you would think that infrastructure is the one thing the Republicans and Democrats will agree on. How many moderates came into the the show over the last year building up to the election? Oh, Ben, you got to look for common ground. Ben, infrastructure, that's the common ground. Ben, stop being a hippie. (laughs) Long, Ben. Uh, Everybody drives down roads, but no, no, no. There are differences. Great column by Michelle Cottle in Weekend New York Times, a dictionary for polarized times. She goes through a whole bunch of issues, including infrastructure, and talks about what the Democratic definition of infrastructure is and what the Republican definition of infrastructure is. And uh, here's I'm quoting from her infrastructure as the president and people define it. Infrastructure includes everything from the care economy, community colleges and electric vehicles to job training and investment in domestic manufacturing. That's how Democrats look at infrastructure. Republicans going with the basics, bread and butter, roads, bridges, ports, and nothing more. You know, Republicans. Hang tight, guys. He'll be back. What do you care? Infrastructure bill. Trump was talking about community colleges. You were loving it when he said it. When Elon Musk builds electric car companies, you love him. But if a Democrat dares to champion these initiatives, how dare he? Meanwhile, up in Michigan, the Civil War is raging. Republicans have a new strategy to pass an anti-voting bill. It's needed to get around a governor veto, because follow me on this one, folks, in Michigan, yes, yes, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer, tell you, maskers uh, were arrested and charged with cooking up a scheme to kidnap her. Remember that? They didn't like her masking laws. Thought she was taking away their liberty. Anyway, so what the Republicans are going to do, they want to pass a vote, a bill that's every bit as anti-voting as the one passed in Georgia, because they, the lesson they learned from the 2020 election is that if you allow black people to vote, Republicans will lose. Instead of reaching out to black voters and trying to convince them to join the Republican Party and vote Republican, what they want to do is limit the black vote. So how to do this? How do you pass a law intended to limit the black vote 
in a state controlled by a Democratic governor who could veto that legislation. They found a gimmick in the law. So what they do is if the voters themselves propose the bill, it cannot be vetoed by the governor. That's technicality in the laws of Michigan. They're so clever, those Republicans, so cunning. They need to gather 10% of the vote from the last governor's election. That's about 340,000 signatures to ballots. They put that, they gather those signatures, and that bill will be introduced in the state legislature. The state legislators who are Republican can't veto it. My suggestion, quick, get Michael Casper up to Michigan. Michael Casper is the diabolically clever election lawyer that Michael Madigan, yes, Michael Madigan and the state Democratic Party used to boot Nittlesem Green Party candidates or independents off the ballots and protect the incumbency of Madigan's caucus members. You were the one always railing against Michael Casper <laughs> and Michael Madigan. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. I've kind of flipped on this one, ladies and gentlemen. When I'm up against these Republicans who want to take a, like, voting rights away from black people. I don't know. I kind of miss Madigan. Can we bring the mad dog back? At least just send him up to Michigan? He'd show him how to fight. By the way, Maga, please use that recording and send it out to fire up your troops. You could say that lefty commie, <laughs> old hippie in his attic. He let out the secret. He loves Michael Madigan. Anyway, here's hoping that Dems in Michigan have a lawyer as diabolically clever as the Republicans they're up against so they can challenge the validity of those signatures and get that law booted off the ballot. Oh, I can hear my fair map brothers and sisters right now. Oh, Ben, come on. It's just not fair. You can't beat the Republicans by being Republicans. You have to win by truth, justice, and the American way. That sound you hear in the background is not just the train roaring by, ladies and gentlemen. No, that sound is this. (laughs) That's the evil cackle of the diabolically clever Republicans winning again. We got a great show today, everybody. Keith Kelleher. Yes, that Keith Kelleher, a legend in union organizing healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. Uh, One of the sponsors of our show. Keith built that union or helped build it. We're not going to show him any privileges, D, just because his union's a sponsor of this show. We'll be tough on him, all right? Get that alligator out there. <laughs> Keith's going to break down. Keith's really smart. He, he organized unions. He built them up from the bottom uh, or for the early days, getting those signatures, getting uh, for union elections. He's going to talk about, we're going to take the deep dive of what went down in Alabama with the Amazon uh, attempt to uh, organize an Amazon warehouse. Did not work out well for the union to put it mildly and there's a lot of lessons uh, that activists lefties union members can learn from what went down in alabama i'm not going to claim it's a moral victory ladies and gentlemen in my humble opinion we'll see what keith has to say i think the unions really messed it up and they were all foxed by jeff Bezos. get michael casper down to alabama He'll show them how to run a union election actually i don't know if michael casper knows it michael casper at that point is just sort of like a like a symbol of a clever Democratic lawyer. Anyway, so uh, we'll have Keith Kelleher on in a little bit. But before we do that, our mystery guest, who's been very patiently sitting here while I've been talking about all these issues of the day, a mystery guest with a mystery complaint. Oh, who could it be? Oh, my God. (laughs) Listeners are on the edge of their seat. Who is the mystery guest? 
So, uh, D- Dennis, let me ask you this. Should what? I introduce the mystery guest or should I ask my mystery guest to introduce himself? Oh, what do you should think? have had that pre-show meeting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let our guest introduce himself, I guess. You know, it's a smashing fourth wall in the Benderesque show. We had an extensive pre-show meeting, but this was the one topic we didn't cover. All right, mystery guest, introduce yourself. Jacob Kaplan, executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party. What's up, yes. guys? <laughs> Dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky show has been yeah. coming on Ben Jarofsky's show for as long as I've been in front of a microphone. He even stayed with me when I got fired for, be too, for being too lefty. All right. Jacob, you had a complaint? I yeah. thought it was a valid yeah. complaint. A little bit complaint. Called me up the other day. God damn you, Ben. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> so let's go back in time. It'll set it up. All right, Jacob. Uh, it was Friday's. Uh, the week there was segment that Dennis and I do once a week where we go through the local news. And one of the segments had to do with a vote taken by the Cook County Democratic Party, the Ward Committee of the Democratic Party, uh, to support uh, State Senator Robert uh, Markwicks, Rob Markwick, another good friend of the show, his proposal to have an elected school board for the city of Chicago. City of Chicago is the only municipality in the state of Illinois, ladies and gentlemen, does not have an elected school board. The mayor of the city of Chicago opposes Mark Wick's bill, says it's too cumbersome. And most of the business leaders in the city have, dis- have joined her in this effort. They say, too much democracy spoils things. What we need is a strong central authoritarian figure running the shoes, the schools, and dispatching orders and telling those teachers, shut up and get back in those classrooms. I'm just summarizing the, um, the argument the other side gives, Jacob. Uh, and so in discussing the, uh, the vote, I said, eh, you know, Tony Preckwinkle, chair of the Cook County Democratic Party, might have been sticking the needle in Lori Lightfoot a little bit. And that's when Jacob said, no, Ben, you got it wrong. Explain what I got wrong and get it right. Go ahead, Jacob. You got it wrong, Ben. This is uh, this is part of the democracy of the Cook County Democratic Party. We have a new committee. It's called the Policy Committee. Uh, it was started last year. It's chaired by Anthony Cazada, the committee person of the 35th Ward, who happens to be a Democratic Socialist as well. And uh, his committee met on March 22nd, and uh, they had an agenda of a number of issues. And one of the issues that was brought up by somebody at the meeting was, why don't we endorse the elected school board bill? Because that was the day that it had passed out of the House uh, committee in the uh, Illinois General Assembly. This was Delia Ramirez's House bill. So I wasn't at this meeting. Chair Brecklinger wasn't at this meeting. It was put to the floor for a vote. It passed unanimously and that set the path in motion for us voting on it at our meeting uh, last week as a full party. So uh, this is something new the party is doing. We in January also had a vote out of this policy committee to endorse $2,000 checks and send uh, letters to our representatives in Washington uh, endorsing that idea. So it's something new. We're getting more involved in policy and that's where this idea came out of organically. It wasn't some sort of fight between people in power. It was just about democracy and people wanting uh, the party to take more of a stance on issues. Uh, and that's what happened. And the, uh, as you saw, the elected school board bill was unanimous, was very popular when it came up for a vote in the party and uh, passed almost unanimously. So, all right. Now, uh, fair enough. I sit corrected. Uh, but what actually I said, I'll get your response to this was in so many ways, Tony Preckwinkle uh, was kind of needling a Lori Lightfoot a little bit because Lori Lightfoot campaigned 
as a supporter of an elected school board. And it was very important for Lori Lightfoot in the 2019 campaign. And folks, true confession time. Jacob knows this. I voted for Lori Lightfoot. He knows that. I've confessed this to him many times. He voted for Tony Preckwinkle. So we don't always see eye to eye and everything. But it was very important for Lori Lightfoot to establish her credentials as a quote-unquote progressive, a word I don't like to use, Jacob, because I think it's misused, but let's just use it. That's what everybody in Chicago calls themselves these days, progressives. And so so it was used by her to establish her credentials as a progressive. And then, of course, once in office, she's like, Against the bill, uh, it says it, that Mark Wick has introduced and Delia Ramirez has introduced, says it's too unwieldy, uh, wants to change it, and it's stalling it and using her clout with Don Harmon, a Democrat, by the way, in the state Senate to block it. Uh, so when the Democratic Party of Cook County votes to endorse the bill that Mayor Lori, Lori Lightfoot is uh, opposing, do you or do you not agree that it is sort of a way of kind of like sticking the needle in uh, and reminding the world that Lori Lightfoot has not made good on her promise to uh, have an elected school board? Jacob Kaplan, respond. Well, I just I see it as supporting what 90 percent of Chicago voters support, supporting what uh, in a recent Cranes poll, I think something like 75 percent of the business executives in Chicago support. And again, ultimately, this was a vote of the party, which is made up of 50 ward and 30 suburban township committee people elected by voters. Uh, the Democratic Party is about democracy, and it's hard to argue against an elected school board. Again, like what you said, every other municipality in the city, I mean, in the state has it. In the, in the state. Uh, yep, in the state. And, uh, you know, this is something that people have been fighting for for years and years, and it's time for it to happen. There are great bills out there in the House and Senate. And uh, the party felt it was time to support them. So, you know, that's just uh, we wanted to provide extra, you know, help to this effort to pass these bills because we feel democracy is uh, is important as the Democratic Party. Uh, fair enough. And uh, by the way, I I uh, appreciate having uh, made that little comment, that snarky comment on Friday. Uh, I do appreciate the fact that the Democratic Party is going to get involved in policy issues. I could think I could see it being a troublesome thing, but I wish they were involved. I go back in, t- in time, uh, Jacob. I've, I view I'm thinking back of all the initiatives that a mayor has launched where we could have used some criticism or critiques from the Democratic Party and they were absent. Or they just went along with it or because they didn't get involved with policy issues. Uh, we didn't hear a peep from them. I, the one that pops to mind, the most obvious one is selling the parking meters, which gets into the larger issue of privatization. So if that were on the, at the forefront right now, do you think it's possible that the Cook County Democratic Party could take a stand on something like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we could take a stand against privatization. I, I think that's something that a lot of people in the Democratic Party believe in. So Again, this is something that's new. We just started this last year, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, but we want to be helpful and take stands on policy positions because I think that's what draws people to the Democratic Party is our is our stances and our positions. So we should do more of that. Is our feeling? Well, I agree with you on that uh, on that point. I could see a lot of uh, forceful debate. Uh, I could see a lot of dissension. There were five committeemen. Let's just point this out: five committeemen. Uh, it was just a Chicago committeeman that got to vote on this. Am I correct on this? Uh, no, all, all of them did. But we also had a the, the suburban heights. Yeah. 
So we had a uh, my hometown of Evanston. Yes, your, your hometown of Evanston voted for it. Yes. Uh, who's the committeeman from Evanston these days? Eamon Kelly. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. I just forgot that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was just a yeah. momentary freeze. So, all right. <laughs> That's all good. So uh, I sit corrected. Uh, now, before I let you uh, uh, go on your merry way, i got to ask you. I'm feeling kind of nostalgic about Michael Joseph Madigan these days. Uh, and, and this is so ironic, given that I, all I did was complain about him throughout the 90s uh, and into the, oh, Steve Brown, if he's listening to this, is just shaking his head going, this guy is just too weird to believe. Steve Brown is Michael Madigan's longtime uh, press spokesperson. And uh, I, <laughs> I was always battling Madigan and Casper and just they were always frustrating lefties like me. Uh, but I don't know when I watch what's going down in Michigan, I feel a little nostalgic because I, I just wish the Democrats in Michigan, I don't know if they do or don't would have somebody as cunning, as clever as Michael Madigan. Uh, do you find yourself ever Jacob Kaplan missing the days of Michael Joseph Madigan? You know, I mean, interestingly, he is still the 13th ward committee person in the party. So it's the last uh, office he holds. Uh, so he's still technically one of our 80 committee people, but I mean, I'll just say this, I think, and we at our meeting last week had a, you know, we also had a presentation from the new speaker, Chris Welch, and everyone was very impressed and thought, you know, it was a breath of fresh air uh, with the new speaker and his priorities that are going to be coming up. So I think generally, I mean, I agree with you, it'd be great. You need, we need good strategists in the Democratic Party and good people that are able to get Democrats elected in states like Michigan and other Midwestern states. So I, I agree with you there. I, you know, think that, uh, that, you know, certainly over Mike Madigan's long career, he had many successes, but obviously there were downsides as well. So, you know, I'm excited about the new day in the Illinois General Assembly with new leaders in the House and Senate. If you'd asked me, you know, two years ago, even I'd be like, there's going to be a new Senate president and a new House speaker in two years. I'd be like, no way. So the new leadership is exciting. And it's, you know, I'm very excited to see where we go as a state. But, you know, I, I do agree with you, we need these kind of brilliant minds in politics, especially in other states uh, across the Midwest to get more Democrats elected. And uh, Michigan certainly, as you mentioned, is, uh, is is example number one. But of course, that all goes back to gerrymandering and the way districts are drawn and the way Republicans have been able to hijack that process. And, you know, I'm not sure there's an easy way out of that right now. Yeah. All right, Jacob, uh, thanks so much for stopping in. And I will be watching the Democratic Party of Cook County to see if uh, if they do any more of these policy initiatives. And if they do, I will champion them. And if they don't do any more initiatives, I'm going to come back and go, isn't that interesting that the only, in I'm going to bring you back out and go, Jacob, isn't that interesting that the only I'm initiative. Bye anytime, Ben. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. A good friend of the show, uh, Jacob Kaplan. Jacob, get back to the, the law books. He's studying to be a lawyer, ladies and gentlemen. Will do. Uh, all right. Take care. Thanks so much, Jacob Kaplan. Thanks for listening to the show as well. All right. That's Jacob Kaplan with an explanation, clarification, correction, if you will. Uh, we're Dennis and I are going to take a brief break. And when we come back, Keith Kelleher from SEIU will be, be with us. Well, he's retired from SEIU. We're going to break down uh, the Amazon vote in Alabama. Give you the pros and cons of that initiative. We'll be right back after this. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more. ChicagoReader.com slash Jarofsky or wherever else you download podcasts. 
You can always send us an email, BennyJShow at gmail.com. You can reach us on social media at BennyJShow, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. And we have a phone number. Yes, it's true. 708-658-4788. 708-658-4788. Call the Ben Jarofsky Show. I mean, we're not going to answer, but leave us a voicemail. And we'll play that thing. And now the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Duke-Masaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky show live from downstate Illinois and Ben's attic. Yes. uh, When the uh, results from the Amazon, uh, unionization attempt in Alabama came in. I knew I had to reach out to Keith Kelleher, good friend of mine, good friend of my show, uh, founder and president, former president, I should say, of SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. And yes, if you recognize that name, they are a sponsor of the show, but we're not going to go easy on Keith just because he sponsors our show, all right? We're not going to go easy on him. No gimmies on the Ben show. Keith, would you like a pizza or anything? How about a back massage? <laughs> All right, Keith, uh, thanks for coming on the show. We were texting so much. Uh, by the way, before we take this deep dive, I urge everybody to check out um, Jane McElvey's, uh, Mac, Mac Levy's. I always mess up her name because I do, uh, I have, um, I flip letters around, but she wrote an excellent analysis in The Nation. And that uh, was very provocative. And uh, Keith and I have been talking about it for a while and texting back and forth about it, uh, about what went down in Alabama. So if you want to further explore this issue, and I think it's a very important uh, issue, Keith, uh, then I urge everybody to check out uh, Jane's uh, article in The Nation. She's a really gr- a good um, reporter of uh, union matters, labor issues, et cetera. All right, Keith, let's start at the uh, outset. And uh, folks may not know the specifics a little bit. Talk about what the union was attempting to do in Alabama with the Amazon warehouse and why it's so important uh, that they succeed. So go ahead. Start with that. Well, Amazon is the largest, you know, retailer, uh, obviously online retailer in the world and the richest company. They say it might be the, you know, the first trillionaire, I guess, company. Uh, And he might be the first trillionaire owner. Um, and so it's a huge uh, effort to organize uh, a company like that with unlimited resources. And it just shows how much brute power the corporations have in the or- labor organizing. And the workers wanted to organize. Uh, I had heard that they were actually inspired by Black Lives Matter activists around the country and saw what was happening there and wanted to uh, do the same in their warehouse and to get uh, the freedom of assembly and the freedom to have a union. And uh, obviously Amazon came in and crushed them. Yeah. I think the vote, the actual vote, and I'm doing this, uh, I should have written it down. I think it was two thirds. Am I correct, Keith? Like two thirds voted no. Did I have that right? Yeah, it was like 
1700 to 700 or something like that, okay. you know? All right. Some, somewhere. So it was a crushing loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, 50.1 would have been successful. They needed over 50% of the vote to be successful. 50 plus one. 50%, 50 plus, plus one. one. Yeah. All right. So uh, immediately when uh, there was an attempt to organize the workers at this uh, warehouse in Alabama, uh, Amazon pointed out, well, we pay $15 an hour, which has mm-hmm. been the mantra of, for uh, activists and leftists and uh, labor organizers for years. So we pay the $15 an hour and we have health care for our right. employees. Uh, and so a lot of folks in this country immediately said, well, why do you need a union if you're already getting $15 an hour in healthcare? So Keith, explain that. Why do you need a union? Well, you can see even in the Amazon warehouses where they, uh, first of all, what they, you know, say many times isn't true. The reality on the, you know, on the shop floor. And uh, so even if they were paying 15 and did have health insurance, the working conditions are unbelievable. They are unbelievably um, archaic and brutal. I mean, they track your every move. You're not allowed to use the restroom. Many people are wearing pampers. The speed up is unbelievable. And the turnover is heavy in that industry, which also might have led to the problems uh, of the list of how many employees actually work there. Uh, there were all different, you know, uh, numbers in the beginning. Oh, it was 5,800, it was 6,000. And then when the election actually came down, actually, if you look at the numbers, only about 2,500 voted. And the Excelsior list, which is the list that, uh, that's how the labor board calls the list of employees, the Excelsior list, was about 3,500. So uh, it seemed to me that uh, what I think was going on was that Amazon was padding that list. And uh, that's very common for corporations to do that, uh, to give you a bad list, to pad the list, to make the union work overtime, house visit a lot more people that they have to, mail to a lot bad addresses and things like that. And... Uh, so that was uh, that struck me that the that that list may have been powered, uh, um, padded with a lot of people who actually had quit because the turnover is so huge in that industry. So and especially uh, in Amazon right. warehouses. So this is exceedingly important, ladies and gentlemen. The first step in a unionizing effort is to figure out who you are unionizing. So mm-hmm. you need to know how many people they are and who they are. All right and. Uh, uh, as I was saying, McElvey uh, in the nation was not easy on mm-hmm. the organizing union. She was very right. critical of the organizing union because, as she put it, and she makes a very compelling case, Keith, yeah, they does. stumbled at this mm-hmm. absolutely essential point, the outset, knowing the number of... <laughs> I'm laughing because it's so basic. Uh, I'm sure it's a lot harder than it sounds, but it's so basic. You got to know how many people are in your unit. So you need to know if you know, if you, if your goal is 50.1, 50 plus one, you need to know what that represents. So what could yeah, I mean, you going in go up against Amazon? You better bring your A game, you know, and you better be able uh, to actually put on a great fight. Now, on the other hand, first of all, I want to say, reading what that campaign was like and the pressure they put on those workers, first of all, I think we all need to thank those 700 primarily black workers who voted yes in in such an onslaught, okay? That's number one. Number two is uh, I'm hoping that the union has a plan for afterwards now, right? That there's been so many, according to the news reports, 
unfair labor practice charges, which are charges that the union and the company can file against each other for unfair conduct or an election. And I'm hoping that that will spur even more, um, perhaps congressional hearings and the PRO Act. The PRO Act is before Congress right now, which would make it easier for workers to organize. And it just shows, this whole campaign shows how stacked it is against workers uh, and how hard it is to win. But you can win. That's my message here, that you can win these elections. And actually, Jane is one of the best practitioners of an NLRB model. We're going into an election, how you know what your list is, how to build an organization. And that seems to be the key thing, is building organization before you go into such a fight like this. And again, we'll have to see, if you look at the news reports, it's unclear how much organization was built by the union going into it. But regardless, I just wanna take my hat off to those union organizers and those workers who had the guts to stand up and now hopefully have enough ammunition to go after this company, because this is not the end. This is like the beginning of a huge fight with this corporation that other Amazon warehouses are organizing, other workers are organizing, and I encourage them to organize and to build organization on the job. If you're gonna go into an NLRB drive, you gotta be able to win under those rules, right? But there's other ways you can win too by building organization and acting like a union and, and not going through the NLRB. If All right, let's, let's, let's take a moment now uh, to explain that because uh, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know if all of our listeners do. So let's distinguish what's an NLRB drive. Go ahead. The National Labor Relations Board was passed in the 1930s. The National Labor Relations Act was passed, set up the National Labor Relations Board, which job was to hold these representation elections. Um, Many would argue that it was set up because there was so much activity going on on the ground. Sit-down strikes, mass occupations of factories, in some cases, workers taking over their cities with the Oakland general strike, the Minnesota, Minneapolis, Twin Cities general strike. And the labor board, some people argue, was started in order to um, make a process. Workers were winning, and this was to use to slow them down, is guess, I guess what some people would say, okay? Um, but it's a good thing that the National Labor Relations Act passed because it set up a process where people could organize, not be shot and killed, not be, you know, uh, run out of town on a rail, not be fired. Those are all great things that the National Labor Relations Act set up and the NLRB set up. So that's an NLRB election where you go through this process where the labor board comes out, sets up a voting booth, just like when you go to vote in a regular election. People vote yes or no, the ballot says yes or no, and that's it. More yeses than nos, you win, okay? A non-NLRB election is when you build organization the old way, right? And they're not mutually exclusive. It's not saying that I'm not one that says you shouldn't go through the NLRB. If you can win, go through the NLRB. But there's also another process, which how many of our unions started. Teachers unions, public employee unions, the largest, some of the largest unions we have today were started by workers just organizing on the job, signing each other up as members and moving issues on the job around pay, dignity and respect, hours of work, working conditions. And that's what I um, am proud that we were able to do in my local. I mean, we started our local in 1983 with seven workers in a church in downtown, the basement 
of United Methodist Temple, seven workers got together and voted to organize a union. 25 years later, there were 70,000 workers in that union, some of the lowest paid workers in the world, sorry, in the United States, home care workers, child care providers. They decided they had no rights under the National Labor Relations Act, under State Labor Relations Act, under any laws, because in the 1930s, domestic workers, home care workers, child care providers were forbidden, mostly because they were black, to organize. Agricultural workers were forbidden to organize under the National Labor Relations Act. And just like Cesar Chavez, just like the brave home, those seven brave home care and child care providers, in 1983, who sat in a church basement and voted to organize their union, they went out and they signed up people as members. They took action on the job. They did direct action. They did uh, anything and everything they could to win their union. And 20 years later, they finally were able to pass a law that allowed them to organize their own union. So that's another way you can organize a union. And it is faster many way, in many ways, but none of it's easy. A lot of it takes time. And uh, that's what I see as uh, the lesson here that, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but whenever I see these big campaigns where people are saying, oh, you know, XYZ Union is going into the South and we're going to organize the South, right? If they do it the right way and build organization, it can be done. I think a lot of times, though, people are using the NLRA and NLRB route, and that might not be the way to go when going after such a huge corporation like Amazon until you've built the power to win on the job. And that means strikes. That means sit-ins. But it also means passing legislation. If you're not strong enough to strike or to take direct action, you can pass legislation that increases things one at a time. There were many years when we went to Springfield and we asked for a 5% raise, a 10% raise, a dollar. You know what I mean? We slowly built it up so that people who were making a dollar an hour in 1983 will now be at $18 an hour in the next three years. People who had no health insurance, tens of thousands of home care workers and child care providers are now covered under a union health, health insurance plan, right? And they built it over the years by building organization. Sometimes we went to the National Labor Relations Act and we won the, the election. Sometimes we didn't. Um, well, you could not help me out of here. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want people to be come away from this thinking something that's uh, not accurate. Mm -hmm. If the workers at that warehouse facility, Amazon warehouse facility mm -hmm. uh, in Alabama wanted to form a union, they have to go through the NLRB process. Am I correct? There's no other way to f literally form a union than by having these elections, uh, by getting the voters, the people to sign cards saying they want to have an election, uh, and then having the actual election where you need the 50 plus one to form the union. You have to go through that. There's no other way around that right now in Alabama. Am I correct? Or is there another literal another way around? No, they could decide to build organization until they're strong enough to win the election, right? Which I think was Jane's, which I think was I, Jane's point, right? Was that, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but just reading that article, and it, well, it's, just so you know, there's a lot of other articles out there too. I yeah. saw a great article in Jacobin. There was a couple other articles about it. That, you know, if you take the time to build the organization until you can win, um, that might be 
hey, why are we just concentrating on Bessemer? Now that's a, they are a huge company and there's you know hundreds of warehouses around the country. But just like the auto workers in the 1930s, they didn't go after every single factory. They went after the most important factories, right? And I don't want to, you know, what do they call it? Sunday morning quarterback this either, right? I wasn't Monday. there. I have a lot of respect for the people who are there. But I'm just saying, if you're going to go in NLRB, bring your A game and go to win as an NLRB, right? But if you're not going to go to NLRB, you need to build up organization and do actions on the job to improve the conditions, to say, hey, to their neighbors and to everyone, hey, look what Amazon is doing over here. Mm-hmm. You know, by the way, we can't go to the bathroom. You know, those issues alone, I think you can win on those issues many times. When we first started organizing home care workers, the minimum wage was three thirty-five an hour. The state of Illinois was paying them a dollar an hour because they were not covered under the National Labor Relations Act. We took that right to the state and it took us three years We got a $2.35 an hour raise, plus a 5% raise on top of that, plus back pay. And that so um, showed what the state was doing, was running a home care plantation of home care workers making a dollar an hour, taking care of our senior citizens and our people with disabilities. I think people are ready for that, you know, to hear, well, Amazon ain't exactly great. Hey, yeah, they got, you know, these great electric trucks <laughs> that bring your little packages to your house in which, Hey, yeah, I'm not being holier than now either. Everyone uses, a lot of people use Amazon, right? But there's also a side of Amazon that needs to change. And that's what these workers are saying. Yeah. They right. are racist. Uh, they are classist. And this is what they're doing to us, you know, and this needs to change. All right. So let's, let's talk about, uh, what it takes to change uh, Amazon. Let's get into the weeds mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. And um, I hear what you're saying. Don't want to be the Monday morning quarterback. I've never mm-hmm. organized a union uh, in my life. Well, that's actually not true at the reader. I was part of the, the group that formed the union, but it was a heck of a right lot on, easier. Right on, Ben. Right on. <laughs> Shut him down. Shut it was a heck down. of a lot easier forming a union at the reader, all right, where they were more or less benevolent dictators that we were dealing with <laughs> than dealing with Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, who's got a production company, Amazon. It's a, They have their own streaming network. They're producing movies. All these Hollywood yeah. actors are going, oh, we really love you. Thank you, Jeff Bezos and Amazon. It's really hard. Okay, I understand that. It's a lot harder than that. Okay. But that's what Bezos is saying, too, though. He's saying, hey, I'm running. I'm paying 15 I'm paying, I'm doing health insurance, right? You know, he's, he's trying to project that like, Hey, I'm a benevolent dictator. Right. But he's not. No, he's a, he's a scuzzbag. Can can I just say something? Jeff Bezos, I've seen benevolent dictators. I dealt with them when we were organizing the rear. You're no benevolent dictator. That's Lloyd Benston. I'm just saying. He's the only guy old enough to remember that. He bought the Washington Post. Yes. He bought the Washington Post. And they're like, oh, he's got to be liberal, Ben. He bought the Washington Post. And he produced transparent. All right. Anyway, uh, so the uh, what I'm reading about union organizing, and I'm reading in particular about Alabama, the advantage is all with Bezos. He's already yes. the world's richest guy. He owns yeah, Amazon. Maybe we just go, I mean, maybe we should just go into the mechanics. I mean, you know, I mean, look at the election. You yes. Know, they were holding daily captive audience meetings. So they being people, Amazon, Amazon, right? Yeah. So Amazon 
just for people who don't know, a captive audience meeting is just as it sounds. You have to attend the meeting. You have no choice in the matter. It is a mandatory meeting. You are paid to attend the meeting and they just play videos, have speakers and beat the crap out of you. That's number one. They are also allowed, even though technically it's illegal, they are allowed to ask you your sympathies about the union and why you think the union might be uh, a bad idea, why the company thinks the union is a bad idea. So they can all also have independent individual meetings with you. So just to give you an idea, I organized a McDonald's, was part of a group of people organizing McDonald's in the early 80s in Detroit, okay? The first thing when we filed for an election with 160 workers in three McDonald's stores, McDonald's did was they brought in a crew from Hamburger University out in Oak Brook. These are former, these are not nice people. These are former psychological operations, U.S. Special Forces, who've been trained to torture, maim, and kill, but also to do it nice and to interrogate. They brought these folks in and they systematically interrogated every one of those 160 workers to find their sympathies and to work on them. And they would do things like, hey, Jim, just doing a meeting, wanted to see what you think about this union thing going on. A lot of people have been asking us. We heard you had some questions, so we just thought we would ask you. And then they would work family network networks. You know, a lot of people have family, right, who work at various places. So they say, well, hey, I, your sister Jane, she she's getting like 25 hours now, right? And you're getting like 30, 35 hours. You know, once the union comes in, we can't guarantee you that you're going to keep getting those 25 and 35 hours. I just want to make sure you know that once we go into an organizing drive and once we have, say the union wins, everything's up for grabs. Then it's all negotiated. I can't guarantee that you or your sister, and don't you have a cousin who works here? (laughs) Yeah. I can't guarantee that your cousin could even keep their job or their hours. Matter of fact, some unions, they tell us who to hire. We would have to use the union's hiring. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear you. They skirt it. And they, they just they just keep working on people like that. And then they just, you know, it is a totally unfair. It's like saying before you went into the voting booth, you know, you as a citizen in the United States, you had to sit through two weeks paid mandatory meetings for the sitting president for Trump to meet with you and to discuss you. And I guarantee you they brought in, you know, big time people, if not Bezos himself, right? At the McDonald's that we were organizing, you know who they brought in? Hmm. Earl Campbell. And he jumped running back, all pro rookie of the year that year. They brought him to a party, a McHappy Day party. I'm not kidding you. This is true. I had to live through it, man. McHappy Day Party, where everybody, oh, and they had a McHappy Day Party raffle, where everybody got $50. Nobody got less than $50, excuse me. Some people got more, but nobody got less, okay? And we estimate they spent over a million dollars on that campaign to beat the union. Now, you say, oh, well, that was McDonald's, but Bezos, there was a press report that Bezos was offering people $2,500 at Bessemer, Alabama, in the warehouse to resign, get a $2,500 bonus, 
and they wouldn't vote. Uh, I don't think I think that's a bribe. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, technically, man. but hold, just so you know, technically, they are not allowed to bribe. Yeah. Right. And they will try to paint it as something else. Well, we've always paid bonuses. And if people want to leave, that's just a parting bonus. You know, that's yeah. all that is. You know, we're, we always offer that in our company. And it's total crap. It's just always the idea is to break you if they can't break you, buy you off if they can buy you off, scare you if they can scare you, use fear, intimidation, and playing people off against each other. And that's how they won. Oh, and by they the also way. kill you kill you with kindness, too. Yeah. By the way, I just want to say something. My uh, Republican brothers and sisters uh, <laughs> in the state of Alabama and uh, in Georgia as well, you're very upset uh, about uh, people giving bottles of water uh, to voters who are standing in line. You say that's an inducement. <laughs> Where's that outrage when yeah. uh, Jeff Bezos is giving 2500 Just saying, my Republican <laughs> brothers and sisters, I was looking for unifying themes that could bring us together. All right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I just – just on the mechanics so, of the election. Those are the things, those are just some of the things an employer can do. Yeah, right? and let me just remind you that the, the, the union doesn't have access to the employees. Not this at is all. something that came out in many of the stories, right. and that's just changed in the nation. Many of the stories, they're limited, they can't go onto the work site. They, this is they're how much cloud the Amazon. They're out on the highway. Yeah, they're on the highway. And they changed the traffic traffic lights so that the the cars they, they would not so be yeah. a traffic light outside of the uh, parking lot when the uh, the employees came out, so they couldn't come up to the cars. That's pretty. That's like a Michael Madigan move. And okay, some, you know. What I'm saying? There's also some online pictures yeah. of the employee break room and lunchroom. Every table had like a vote no, like little you know table setting, right? Yeah. Every stall in the bathrooms had a vote no thing on the stall. And they also show videos during these meetings, right? Many of them extremely violent, showing the, you know, alleged union violence in strikes and inferring that if this happens here and if the union asks us to do this, this could, and we say no, the union could call a strike. Even, and they never mentioned that actually, no, workers vote to strike, right? If they want to strike or not. And most unions will not strike unless 75, 70, you know, 70, 75% of the workers vote to strike, right? But yeah. they put these ideas in people's head that somehow this, they make the union as an outside third party, right? And they make it out like they're going to come in here and ruin this beautiful relationship we've had here. Hey, I can hear them now. And this is what they did at the McDonald's. We made some mistakes. <laughs> yeah, you know, Bob should have let you, you know, go to the bathroom. And that's why we fired his ass. You know, they'll fire a couple of supervisors, right? Mm -hmm. And he shouldn't have done that. And that's why I'm glad you guys brought this to our attention because we're changing now. And this is a new day, you know, <laughs> without the union, you know, and you're going to get 15. You're going to get health insurance. I mean, that's the kind of power that they have. So if you were voting in the United States and you were required for two to three months before you go to vote for president to have to sit in meetings with Trump or his you know, associates and hear this nonstop and the other candidate couldn't say anything or didn't have the same access. Right. That's a lot of power. Yeah. So anyway, right. I mean, what can you do? I, I guess my my only you know, final thing on this is that 
I think this could be the start of something good, right? If there's unfair labor practice charges, if there's congressional hearings, this could lead to passing the PRO Act, which would be a great thing for the PRO Act to pass, right? But at the same time, I think to organize uh, these this level of workers, you have to go, and, company, and this kind of corporation, you have to build up an organization in those plants uh, on the local level, on the state level, and on the national level, and it takes time, and it's not easy. And that, when you're gonna go into something like that, you need to do that and not just go with one-offs. All right, let me ask you this. And I, I've uh, opined on, uh, on this question that I'm about to ask you, but I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna ask you this question directly. Okay. So. You went up against McDonald's that brought in Earl Campbell. Mm-hmm. I loved Earl Campbell. What a mm-hmm. great running back. Uh, Houston Oilers uh, battered his brains out, by the way, playing football. Yeah. And could have used a stronger uh, National Football League players union uh, representative protecting him, just saying. I'm really sad to hear that. They actually uh, condemned him for doing that, by the way, just so you know. Good. They I'm said glad they did. He should not have done that. He shouldn't have probably in his heart of hearts. He knew that as well. All right. So uh, McDonald's fought you and was successful in Detroit, kept you from organizing those. Well, we actually won the first Burger King and one of the fast first fast food restaurants in the country to organize. And we actually won a contract. Just so you know, just for the record, by the way, there'll be an article about it tomorrow in the Forge magazine. It'll be coming out. Okay, so uh, you won one uh, with Burger King. You lost one with McDonald's. All right, let's move on. Uh, So this the point I'm making. Uh, Ray Kroc was one of the w- wealthiest men in the world. He owned McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Jeff Bezos is one of the wealthiest men in the world. He owns Amazon. Now, I look at Amazon and all the gazillions and gazillions of dollars of profits they had. They had their big paw out looking for money from the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, to move their headquarters here. And the dummies that run this state and in, in this city were ready to give them the money. All right, right. Let me point that out. Ready to give them the money. Right. Uh, why? With all that money, with all that influence, with all that power, he owns the Washington Post. He owns this huge production company. It's got all these Hollywood stars lining up to say, Ben, you know, he'd be fair to Jeff Bezos. Why? Why does Jeff Bezos care if a bunch of employees in a warehouse in Alabama organize a union? The man is still going to be the wealthiest or mm-hmm. well, I think Elon Musk may have slipped ahead of him. So he's either one or two wealthiest men in the world worth billions and billions of dollars. Keith Kelleher, why does he care? Why is he fighting so hard? Why is he bringing in the special ops team? Why is he tra- changing the traffic lights? Why is he cooking the numbers of people who can vote? Why does he have lawyers lined up fighting them in court? Why is he fighting this so hard? Go explain. One word, power. He knows that if they win in Alabama, if they win anywhere in California, if they win here, that will limit his power to be a dictator on the job. And that will limit and curl, curtail some of their um, oppressive, abusive, racist policies on the shop floor in Alabama, as well as here or anywhere. He knows it comes down to power. For a lot of these folks, it really comes down to power. It's not really, I mean, of course, they love the money, right? But they see that as an end to have total power. And so uh, in our system, uh, in order to uh, have power, he needs to control everything, 
about, or he thinks he needs to control. And he thinks that uh, that's what it takes for him to run his company. And he doesn't want to hear anything else, you know, and that's the same thing that the auto worker, auto, uh, auto employers, the Henry Fords, Henry Ford was just like Bezos, right? And it was when those workers organized that it actually made it a more humane workplace, right? Not saying that auto, auto plants are great places to work, but they are much better than they used to be. Workers are getting living wages. Workers are getting health insurance. They're getting pensions. They're getting time out, off. They're getting holidays. A lot of those things that people at the Amazon warehouses are not getting. They might say, oh, we're getting 15, and, but that's, that's just, you know, a few things compared to paid time off, you know, uh, any kind of vacation, mm-hmm. any kind of sick days. A lot of that stuff, they don't want that at all because to them that means workers will not be on the job and they think they have to have this Amazon plantation running 24-7 in order to run their company. And it can be run in a humane manner, but they don't want to hear it. Mm. By the way, I just have to mention one thing uh, that mm-hmm. uh, I've been meaning to mention uh, as we went on a couple of reps here and we moved away from it. Yes, the vote was like 1,700 to 700, but there's 400 to 500. <laughs> what a system. Yeah. There's 400 to 500 Gallon votes that were challenged by Amazon. That's right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, come on now. Yeah. Come on. How is that fair? That's like a Chicago election. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, you know, I'm not going to let you vote. <laughs> That's an old Chicago. You know, but it's also, no, it's, it's like, go ahead. Yeah. It's also an Alabama situation, right? And just like in Georgia, this is voter suppression. That's what this is. This is voter suppression by Bezos to prevent black workers from voting. Because he That's knew those 500 thing. voters. He, he knew they he, were yeses. He knew they were yeses. So you really should say it's 1,700 to 1,200. Just say it. Right. That's right. And that's a much closer margin. Not to mention, you know, where were the other 2,300? Did they resign to get the bonus? You know what I mean? Were they yeses who resigned? I don't know. I don't know if if there were no 50 other 2,300 or not. But that was the number going into this election. Everyone's like, all the press reports of 5,800 voters are ready to vote. Well, what happened to the other 2,300? Were they just a fiction? Or did, were they people who took this bonus? I think a lot of stuff is going to come out in the next couple of weeks and days and months, and hopefully before Congress, to pass pro, the PRO Act to show them this is what happens when you have unbridled power and when you have workers have no power under the National Labor Law. All right, let me ask you this. Uh-huh. Uh, those 500 votes that mm-hmm. were challenged, those 500 ballots that have been challenged uh, by the uh, Bezos' uh, agents uh, on the grounds that somehow or other they're not eligible to vote in this mm-hmm. election. We had a mini version of that, even at my beloved reader, when we voted uh, to form our union, mm-hmm. <laughs> they challenged like a couple people. Didn't mm-hmm. matter. I was very proud of this, Keith. It was 20 to nothing. Yeah, wow. that's how you organize Man. a union. All right. Anyway. Lap down, uh, <laughs> lap down, body <laughs> slam. <laughs> Uh, so union one reader. (laughs) Uh, so as a tactician, what would you, would you continue to challenge to get those votes counted or would you just walk away from it? Uh, Keith and go, well, that, I think I, I thought would I I would definitely challenge, uh, those votes. I would challenge, I would file all the unfair labor practice charges. I would demand, um, 
action uh, in Congress. I would demand hearings in Congress. I would demand local hearings that they come down to hear the workers at that shop. I mean, whatever the union wants to do is what I would do is actually go and demand that. And I would keep organizing in the other warehouses and the other parts of this whole production uh, logistics system that uh, Amazon has uh, locally and nationally. So I would do and keep organizing, right? I mean, I think that's the big thing is just keep, don't give up. I, I hear, give, let me give you one more example here. My first election was a Burger King. After we won the Greyhound Burger King in downtown Detroit at the Greyhound station by a vote of 25 to 23, they asked me to organize one on the southwest side. My first election, I was going into, I thought we were doing good. Yeah, they were beating us up, but no, we're good. We're, I, I don't know. I think we're good. You know, my supervisor, my organizer, said, head, head organizer says to me, what's the vote? What's it going to be? I, th- I think it's going to be like 18 to like 12. You know, there were like 30 people. Well, it was 25 before. Yeah, but I think, you know, they not, they're hurting us, but they're not. On the day of the election, it was 21 to 1. I lost. Whoa. We got crushed. A year later those workers contacted us and said, we'd like to organize our union. So we went back and we helped them. Over 80% of the workers, many of them who voted against the union the year before, signed up with the union. We did a recognition action to demand recognition at a Burger King Corporation, it was a corporate store. They refused, we went outside on the sidewalk and picketed and totally shut down business to the company. Then we filed at the labor board for an election. They then sold the store. God. They sold it. They knew we were going to win. We had over 80% on the cards. We had all filed at the labor board. They knew we were going to win. They sold the store to a guy who worked for human resources for the corporation up until like a week before they sold him the store. And the Reagan labor board said, oh, that's true. Oh, they showed us the paperwork. We're like, this is BS. And we filed unfair labor practice charges. We won some, we lost some, but on the main argument, we lost the main argument and they allowed the corporation, the Reagan labor board to, to, to sell uh, uh, the store out from under us. And my lesson in that was that we were doing everything, we were, those workers were doing everything they were asked to, to do. They signed the cards, they asked for recognition, they went to the labor board and the corporation still went out and, and sold the store from under us. And what I learned was that you cannot depend on the National Labor Relations mm-hmm. Board. And I learned different tactics that I then used when we came here to Chicago to organize with the labor board if you can win and away from the labor board if you can't or if you have no rights to organize. And it's not easy. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of discipline and time. But over the years, we've built now that local uh, is now the largest union local in the city of Chicago, the largest union local in the state of Illinois, the largest union local in the Midwest of any union, not just SEIU, but any union. And SEIU, which had very few home care workers prior to the organizing be done done by these brave workers, now has 600,000 home care and child care providers in their 10 million person union. The largest union, or probably first or second largest union in the country. Uh, so that's so, my lesson is that keep organizing, don't give up hope. So with those brave workers in Alabama, I'm with you. Let's keep going. I know it feels bad now, but let's pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and go at it again. 
Yeah, and I I uh, I I assure everybody that a young Keith Kelleher just vision young <laughs> Keith Kelleher long hair listen to Bob Seger I love no. Bob Seger <laughs> I did listen I, I did like Bob Seger Come on, you <laughs> love Seger it's 1983 you're in Detroit what else are you going to be listening Hold to on. I was more of a Motown I was like a I have to say, Ring My Bell at that time was my favorite song. Ring My Ring Bell my by mind. Angela Ward. I mean, so don't put me in that Seeger category. I was a dancing kind of guy. Okay. Yeah. He is, by the way, unbelievable dancer, Keith Kelleher, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of people see Keith Kelleher. Wait a minute. Isn't that John Travolta? No, it's Keith Kelleher. <laughs> All right. Um, so, he, so, <laughs> so, by the way, no, but I was going to say, the difference between me and Keith, there's many differences. One, he's a great dancer. I can't dance at all. But another difference is that I would I, I never, I hold grudges for years, Keith. If it was 23 to 1, the vote against me, no. and then they came back a year later, I and they like- go, oh. I'd be like, oh, well, look who's here. Oh, where were you when I needed you? Well, Union mean- workers. Well, but you didn't do that, did you, Keith? I was like, well, you're right. It does feel, you know, is that it's like, I felt like that old B.B. King song, you know, nobody loves me but my mother and she might be jabbing me too. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like that. I was like, I thought I had like at least three votes and I, you know, I lost them around. One. I but love that, that that's guy. My point. That's my Promoted. point. Yeah. The company had so scared and poisoned that environment, that climate, right? That people voted no, right? There was, you know. Yeah. And but then something happened. What happened was that they were trying to grind out everybody who worked there to get rid of all the workers who uh, may have had sympathies for the union. And that's what happened. And those workers said, hold on and call this back. And then we went back out. We would have won that election overwhelmingly. But they, you know, they're technically not allowed to do that, but they did. Yeah. The point is, you didn't hold a grudge, unlike me. All right. right. We're going to close with this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, you've already laid out what the union has to do. It has to go right, go back and organize uh, and uh, try to win over the workers that voted against them, uh, build from whatever strength they have Mm -hmm. and uh, and move ahead, maybe try other warehouses in Alabama, put Mm -hmm. pressure on Jeff Bezos, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe get some of his Hollywood friends to turn against him, whatever. Mm -hmm. All right. Proact, you've made reference to a legislation that would benefit unions in future organizing efforts. Right. What, how would this particular bill have helped the union organizers uh, in Alabama? Go well, ahead. a lot of the stuff that I just described that happened to me at McDonald's and Burger King and the other fast food employers and also happened with the Amazon workers would be outlawed. You know, they could not. Do, they could not have these captive audience meetings. They could not do a lot of the things that they that are typical methods of union buses, which, by the way, I think Jane mentions it in her article, the book Confessions of a Union Buster by mm-hmm. Martin Levitt. Yeah. I would regret I would have all your listeners read that book because he tells it like it was. He reformed and said, I was a hitman for the corporations. And he goes into you know, everything they used to do and all the tricks they did and all the time, all the ways that they, uh, legal and illegal, that they used to win union elections. So those kinds of things would be outlawed. Not everything, but most of these egregious techniques and uh, psychological warfare and things like that would be uh, illegal under the PRO Act, that they couldn't do it. People would have to 
be allowed to uh, vote in uh, their, you know, actually have a, uh, it's, it's technically a secret ballot now, but they wouldn't be able to campaign like they are. They wouldn't be able to do the uh, uh, interrogations and all those things that I described uh, that would, would be outlawed. Mm. Changing the traffic light. Mm-hmm. No detail was mm-hmm. too insignificant for Bezos right. uh, to ch- Folks, he changed the freaking right. traffic light. He had control of the town. You guys right. are complaining about Democratic mayors and city. That's how this- but the other thing I want to make is that even with the, the changes in PRO Act, it's still yeah. not going to be easy to win an no. LRB election, yeah. right? But I would recommend that uh, people look into other methods, you know, look at study some of the other unions that have organized over the years, including our own, and see how we have grown without the NLRB and without the NLRA. And so uh, and use those tactics as well, which could eventually grow into huge movements of workers demanding their rights on the job and the right to have a living wage. You know, I mean, that's what people want. They want to have what used to be where a working person could actually afford a house, could afford a car, could afford college for their kids, could have a, a vacation, right? Could have a sick day, things like that. Most, many workers today, except in the public sector and increasingly not in the private sector, even the large corporations do not have those rights to have those things because there aren't union contracts that guarantee them, right? So. Uh, but that's what people want, and that's what a union can bring, and that's how uh, unionized workplaces are compared to non-union workplaces. Mm. And I'll just remind—I uh, do this all the time—my uh, listeners, who are more of like us, what they call uh, what do they call them, uh, social progressives, uh, Keith. So they're like they're for environmental oh, regulation, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're for uh, a woman's right to choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but you know, they're like, Ben, come on now, man, that union stuff getting mm-hmm. too far. I'm just saying, guys, <laughs> you killed the unions in Wisconsin, Trump mm-hmm. won. All right. Okay. So if you believe in environmental regulations and a woman's right to mm-hmm. choose kind of helps to have unions around just to have an ally, I'm just saying right. a very pragmatic point of view. I think you meant lifestyle liberals, right? Is that lifestyle. what they're called? Lifestyle, lifestyle, liberal, lifestyle, oh, or not even liberal lifestyle, you know, progressive. Liberal is like such a. Nobody yeah. even wants to be called a liberal anymore. <laughs> Everybody's a progressive. You know what right. I'm saying? I just dealt with this on a column the other day. The like, lifestyle well, Democrats, I'll, I'll, some people call them, you know? What's that? Some people call them lifestyle Democrats. Some people call them lifestyle Republicans, yeah. you know? But although, you know. There's none. I can't think of any. Not, not many left there. <laughs> yeah, but, um, all right, Keith, thanks so much for taking the time to come and explain this stuff. We'll probably bring you back to a greater conversation on the just the notion of collectivization. That's mm-hmm. also what Bezos is playing. That's that, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, you're an individual. You're you're not a, a part of a union. Well, it's so hilarious because the thing that made him so wealthy. Right. The thing that is all based on publicly funded research, you know, the internet, you know, I mean, that was all, you know, our money, you know, that built up that whole, uh, made the platform for companies like Bezos even to exist, uh-huh. right? So, you know, give me a break on uh, Keith, I, I'll come back to it. Blah. He came to Chicago and Illinois with his hands out, looking for billions of dollars mm-hmm. in handouts. And Rahm, mm-hmm. Mayor Rahm, and Governor mm-hmm. uh, Rauner were united. And I could, I remember, I couldn't find. Were very few people willing to speak out against that mm-hmm. because that's the power. We were, 
We were. <laughs> okay, see, I got blessed. Why would I? Only uh-huh. a union that would sponsor uh-huh. a show nope. with Ben Jarofsky would have. Nope. Yes, they were. They were one of the few. I remember even so many politicians come into the into the show and, well, you know, Ben, there's a lot of jobs. Yeah, my people need jobs, Ben. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks so much, Keith. It's a blast okay. talking to you. And, thanks for having uh, me. That's great, Keith Kelleher. He's a legend in the organizing business, and um, yeah, he tells it like it is. You got to keep uh, keep fighting it. And uh, it was a trouncing seventeen hundred to seven hundred, but as I keep saying, I had five hundred votes. That's right. It was a little closer than uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos would Jeff you know, probably sweating. wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jeff Bezos learned that old lesson uh, that uh, Chicago Democrats have known so long. It's really. Uh, easy to win an election if you eliminate the opposition. Mm-hmm. Not hard to win if you're running mm-hmm. alone. Yeah. Um, Voter right. suppression. Voter suppression. Very good. That's Keith Keller from SEIU. I'm Ben Jarofsky. I want to thank uh, uh, Jacob Kaplan uh, for coming on the show uh, earlier. Uh, that was fun talking to him. His correction, his clarification on that show from Friday. I don't know, folks. Listen to it yourself. We had a lot of fun. Uh, ChicagoReader.com. Or wherever What's else, that? ChicagoReader.com or wherever else you download podcasts. Yes, our guest, Keith Kelleher, uh, the live stream chat was feeling Keith. They say bring him back. Ben, we got to bring him back. And uh, quick, who wins in a dance contest, Ben Jarofsky or Keith Kelleher? Oh, my God, Keith Keller. He's a great dancer. He mops the floor with me. Oh, okay. They call him KK. Uh, and uh, he's a great dancer. I've seen he puts it on his Facebook page, dancing with his wife. Uh, I'm a terrible dancer, so. But in my mind, Dennis, oh, my God. In my mind, I'm Fred Astaire. And I'm pretty sure anyway. you're the only one who calls him KK, but go ahead. <laughs> Keith Kelleher, great guy. Yes, we should bring him back. Uh, he's, a, he's unapologetic lefty. God bless him. God bless his union for sponsoring my show. All right, Keith Kelleher, thank you very much. Jacob Kaplan, thank you very much. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all. And he's back home at all right now, ladies and gentlemen. When this show is over, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go fishing. Because that's what they do in all. Busted. Busted. How'd you know? <laughs> and he's going to chop some wood. I'm an old guy. He's going to have a lot of fun. You know me so you know, well. You know what he's going to do, ladies and gentlemen? Forget that fishing. Forget that wood chopping. He's going to go track down that cookie man in St. Louis <laughs> that he loves so much. Hey, cookie man. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> The magical cookie man. Anyway, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And back home on Alton, as Keith Keller will tell you, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. My name is Dennis. Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J. Bonus interviews, so much more. ChicagoReader.com or wherever else you download podcasts. You can always send us an email, bennyjshow at gmail.com. Leave us a comment. There's a good chance we'll read it on the program. You can reach us on social media at bennyjshow, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show. And you can call us, 708-658-4788. 708-658-4788. Call the Vinjarovsky Show, leave us a voicemail, and we will play that voicemail on the program. I mean, if you're not crazy or like cursing like a madman all right see you tomorrow i'm not a doctor i won't just turn the car around i'm gonna shut it off i'm gonna kick you out and i'm gonna make you